Okay, uh, so we're going to move on now. We're going to jump into the message. And if you've been with us, uh, or if you haven't been with us, where we're at is uh, we're going through this series. As I said in the opening, we're going through this series called Nightmares, and we're talking about fear. And specifically this morning, we're going to talk about the area of fearing loss. Now, I will say, if you weren't here last week, uh, I would encourage you, if you have the resources to get the podcast, to download it, to listen to it. If you don't have the resources, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully you can find somebody that has a computer that can download it or has an iPod or something that you could listen to it all on. Uh, but I would encourage you to do that because I think pastor Adam did a phenomenal job last week of pointing out the difference between perfect love and imperfect love. And I think it sets up a really good foundation, uh, for where we're going to go. And so I would just encourage you, uh, to listen to that if you didn't have that opportunity. So if, uh, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, you can open them up to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. It's going to take us a little while to get there. I'm going to set some of the, the background for us and, and ask a couple questions. But Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you are new to church, if you came in here and you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, I would love nothing more than to give you one. I can't give you one right now, but if you come up to me after the service, I will get you one. And um, love to do that for you. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you have a Bible and you're new to it, go to the front of the Bible. There's a table of contents and nobody will look down on you if you do. And you can find where Daniel is and you can turn to there with confidence because you'll know the page number. So feel free to do that. And if you have a smartphone or whatever else you might be looking at, uh, that's where we'll be Daniel chapter three. So I want to do, start off with something this morning, and I know this is a little bit dangerous because uh, it is my job as a pastor on Sunday mornings to think, especially when I'm up here, I have to think. And for some of you, Sunday is a day off, and so you don't want to think on your day off. You just came here just to listen. You didn't think that there would be any requirements, uh, but I'm going to put some pressure on you this morning. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I would encourage you to, to really dig into these questions. Now, Part of the challenge here is that these questions are going to take more thought than you have the time to give them now. And so it almost becomes like homework. And I know it's terrible because they just finished school and they're like, I'm done with school. I don't have homework until September. And some of you are like, I've been out of school for years, so long I can't even count the days. I've never, I haven't had homework in 40 years. Well, today I might be giving you some, so I'm sorry. But here is the question. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Now, when I ask you that question, maybe what comes to mind is, you know what? I'm really afraid of heights or I'm afraid of the dark or I'm afraid of clowns. Some people really are afraid of clowns. And uh, sorry if that's you, if I just offended you, I'm sorry. Um, Fear of spiders, fear of whatever, you know, it, it could be anything. But that's not what I'm talking about because I think that there's deeper fears within us that we need to do some work and and push in and think, okay, what are my deepest fears? And as I sat down and I thought about this message and I was thinking about this, it took some time. Actually, I was talking to my wife about it and she's like, "Uh, you know, are you sure that's your deepest fear? You might want to go back and think about that some. And so I did and I I pushed in more and, and there was more there. And so I would just encourage you, if you open your bulletin, inside your bulletin, there's that section where there's the sermon notes. I put these questions there so that you could actually think about this throughout the week. And my guess is that for some of you, this fear comes right to your mind. You're like, there it is. I know what that fear is. I don't have to push in. I don't have to think about it. It's right there. For others of you, you're like me. You're kind of a carefree person. And you're like, you know, I don't know what my greatest fear is. And I'm going to 
I'm going to throw something out there at you. It's kind of a hunch. I think that this is true. If that fear comes straight to your mind, the reality is that you probably have a big what if question hanging over you. You have a giant what if question and that question is driving fear in you. And I'll I'll give you a couple examples. What if this pain in my chest doesn't go away? What if we continue to grow apart in our marriage? What if I gain weight and he doesn't find me attractive anymore? What if I can't afford to go to college? What if I don't go to the college I want to go to? What if I'm stuck in this job for 10 more years? What if we can never pay back the credit card debt that we've accumulated? What if he keeps drinking as much as he does? Those are some things, those are some what if questions that I think... um, will kind of drive out in us some fear. And for all of us, as we go through seasons of life, the what-if questions will change. As our circumstances change, our what-if questions change. As we get older, our what-if questions change. For me, when I was younger, um, in elementary school, some of the what-if questions I would think of is, uh, what if I ask that girl out? What if I hand her that note that says check her yes or no, and she gives it back to me and it says no? And I'm not even sure where we were going to go. I don't know why we use that term going out because I couldn't go anywhere anyway. But that was one of the what if questions I would ask. Or I would ask, what if we lose the game that I'm playing in and it's my fault? What if we lose that game and it's my fault? What if I strike out in the seventh inning, which is the end of a little league game? What if that happens? And as I grew up, those what if questions got more intense and they changed. What if my parents find out about that party that I went to? What if I decide to quit college and people think I'm a failure? What if we can't find a place to live that we can afford? What if I can't get a better job? So maybe some of those hit home for you. Now I want to ask you a second question uh, that goes along with this. And this question is simply one that is, I would say, is a tool to help us find what our greatest fear is. Because maybe for some of you, you're really having trouble finding that. And so here's, here's a question that's a tool that I think will help you find it. If I ever lost blank, that's a question mark. If I ever lost this, I don't know how life can go on. Okay, and I'll give you some examples here too. Could be any number of things. Maybe it's your spouse. And I don't mean that your spouse passes away. I mean that, well, that could be it. That could be part of it. But... It could also be that you'd lose your relationship with your spouse or your kids. And again, there's, you might fear losing your children, but what about losing them uh, emotionally in a relationship? Could be your parents, could be your fiance, could be your best friend, could be your job, your career, maybe your house, your car, your marriage. Maybe it's your physical ability. If I ever lost the ability to walk, I don't know how life would go on. If I ever lost the ability to see, I don't know how life would go on. Maybe it's your status. Maybe it's your appearance. Or maybe it's something as simple as your we. Now, when I say we, I mean the Nintendo Wii. Okay? Because for my son, uh, our Wii broke a couple months ago. And I'm doing the good thing that a father should do. And I'm, I'm not just running out and buying him one. But I'm saying, all right, you've got to work for it. If you want one, if you want it that bad, you've got to earn it. Okay? I think that's the right thing to do. But... For him, he is honestly wondering how life has gone on for the last four months without his we. 
It's just a reality. That's, that's where he's at. So it could be any number of things. Um, you fill in the blank and actually and take the time to think about it and write it down. And I think it'll help you pinpoint where your fears are. And here's why I think this is so important. Because our fears reveal what we love. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about our fears of what we're going to lose reveal what we love. My fear, a fear of the dark is not going to reveal what I love. All right? But a fear of losing something will reveal what I truly care about. Because if you can pinpoint something that you think you cannot live without, then you've just located something that you truly love and you truly care about. So I want to give you some examples of this because these aren't necessarily bad things. Some of these fears of losing things or some of these things that we really love and care about, they're not bad things. I'll give you an example. If I'm afraid that my relationship with my kids that I have right now is, that relationship is, is tense for some reason. Maybe it's our personalities clash. Maybe it's something else. But that relationship is tense for some reason. And I'm afraid that as they grow up, they will, that will continue to grow apart. And that's not what I want. I don't want that relationship to grow apart, but I'm afraid and I don't know how to change it. And so I'm worried about that. And if that is a fear that you have, what does that reveal about you? What does that expose in your heart? Well, what that exposes is I really care about the relationship with my child, with my son or daughter. That's a good fear to have. That exposes a good love within you. But I'll give you some other ones that might not be so good. Personally, for me, sometimes I fear making really difficult decisions. And even as a pastor in the life of this church and what I do, there are times where I feel, I fear making decisions that I know God, I'm pretty sure God is telling us to make. And I'm afraid to make them because of you. See, I know that there are changes that need to happen within the life of our life groups right now. If we're going to move forward as a church, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to grow tighter as a church, I know there are changes that need to be made in the the area of life groups. But sometimes I fear making those changes because I'm afraid of what your opinion of me will be. I'm afraid of how you'll respond. I'm afraid to break the relationships that I've formed with many of you because of a decision that I might make that you might not like. Now, dig down deep. What's that fear? That fear doesn't expose in me a love for you. It exposes in me a love for me. It exposes in me a fear uh, or a love of my image, my relationships with you, my status. The way you think about me. That's what it begins to expose. Or maybe it's this one for you. Maybe you're deathly afraid that your spouse might find out about that secret sin, about just how much porn you're looking at. Or that coworker that you have that relationship with that you know you shouldn't have it. You know you shouldn't look forward to seeing them as much as you do or conversing with them as much as you do. And you're deathly afraid that your spouse is going to find out. Now, let's dig down deep. What, what is that fear exposing in me? Well, you might say, well, it exposes that I don't want to hurt my spouse. Yeah, probably. But I think it goes deeper than that. It might expose in you 
a, the fact that you might need to stop. That might be your fear, that I need to stop doing what I'm doing. And if they find out, I'm going to have to stop it. Or it also might expose in you that fear of if they find out, it will crush their image of who they thought I was. It will crush our relationship if they find out. And so that exposes that fear of of self-preservation though. It's not exposing a love for the other person. It's exposing a love for ourselves, uh, a desire to protect ourselves. And so I think as we evaluate the origin of these fears, it brings us a tremendous opportunity because we will dig deep and we will find some things that we might not be happy about and we might not like, but it presents us the opportunity to turn to a loving God that cares for us, that can help us. And so with that, I want to jump into Daniel chapter 3, because that'll take us where we want to go. Um, And I think it'll shed some light. And I think God really has some things that he wants to to show us this morning. I'm excited about the work that he's done in my heart through this, and I hope that he does in yours. So Daniel chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of the context here, in case you're unfamiliar with the story of of Daniel. Um, and let me just, I'll just give you a side note here. This is free. I'm not going to charge you extra for this, but we say, we talk about Bible stories. Okay. And this is, this is one of those Bible stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I kind of wonder sometimes why we talk about Bible stories, because I think we're confusing or why we use the term Bible stories, I should say, because I think sometimes I'm confusing my children and maybe some of you that have raised children can help me out with this sometime. But I tell, my kids ask me to read stories and I tell them about Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel, which I don't think there was ever a Mike Mulligan or a guy that had a steam shovel that dug a basement in a day. Uh, for those of you that read kids' stories, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't think that there is a, a, a talking bear named Winnie the Pooh that searches for honey or a tiger named Tigger that bounces on his tail. And yet when my kids ask me to read them stories, I read them stories about... Tigger and Pooh and all those people. And yet when I read them a Bible story about three guys that got thrown into a blazing furnace and didn't die. See, so I wonder sometimes we don't confuse our kids. So I'm going to call this a historical account. We're going to read the historical account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I might be completely off my rocker. Some of you might be thinking, this guy is crazy. Um, and that's okay. You can help me out. But I don't want to confuse my kids, and I don't want them to think that this is actually a story. Because when you're old enough, you can, you can kind of say, all right, that's a true story. I know that that's a, an account that actually happened. But when you're younger, a story. Okay, so anyway. Like I said, that was free. It wasn't really part of the sermon. Just thought I'd throw it in there. So let me give you the context here for where we're going uh, in Daniel. Uh, Daniel, what's happening here in Daniel chapter 3 is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. uh, They've lived in rebellion to God. And God brings uh, punishment upon them in the form of the nation of Babylon. And one of the most powerful kings that ever ruled the face of the earth is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has come in and he has overthrown the nation of Israel. And what he's done is he's taken some of the, the Jews that live there in the nation of Israel. And he's taken them and said, uh, you will live under my authority now. So the, the nation of Israel has been exiled to Babylon. So they're living in a foreign place, living under the oppression of this king. 
Now, one of the things that happens with King Nebuchadnezzar is he takes the smart people, the smartest, the best of the best in the nation of Israel, of the Jews, and he says, you are going to work for me. I'm going to use the, uh, the brilliance that you have. I'm going to use your brain, and it's going to work for me. So he takes people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and he puts them under his authority, and he actually places them in positions of authority. Now, why this is important is because of all the times that I've thought about this historical account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I assume that they were exiles in slavery. And what comes to mind when you think about exiles in slavery? You don't think about a person being in a position of leadership. You think about a person being in a dungeon or being forced to work hard labor and getting one meal a day. That's what we think about. But in this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because of God's plan, have been placed in a position of authority. So as they go on through this account, you're going to have to, you're going to see something here that's really important. They, they have a lot to lose when they make a decision. So with that said, Daniel chapter, I'm going to start in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 49. It's one verse ahead of where I told you I was going to start um, because I think it sets the context. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators. So there you have it. They've been appointed administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So they've been given in a position of authority. King Nebuchadnezzar trusts them. And he says, I'm going to put you in a position of authority over my people. So chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So they all showed up. The satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zerith, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, I'll abbreviate that, all the peoples, nations, and every man of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horns, flute, zerith, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your God nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it is, is it true? He's asking them the question. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Verse 15. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zerith, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, 
If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? All right, so there we have it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're these guys that are in positions of authority. And they've been called out. Their faith is being put to the test. They're standing in front of the king who has the authority to kill them. And he's asking them, will you bow down to my big statue or do I need to kill you? And so their faith is being put to the test. And all he's asking from them is just bow down when the music starts and nobody has to get hurt. Now for us, bring this to us. Most of us here in the United States, and I'm going to take a shot in the dark here that not one of you has ever stood in a place where it was, I confess to my faith in God and my belief in Jesus, or else I die. In America, we don't face that type of persecution. We don't often face that pressure. Now, maybe one of you has a story like that. I would love to hear it. But probably most of you have not been in that position. I myself have not been in a position where I need to stand up for my faith or or else face execution. But that's the, the place where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves. But for us, how many times have we been in a position where we had an opportunity to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus, to share our faith in God with someone, and we quivered and stepped back in fear? We made an excuse because we were afraid that they might reject us. That their opinion of us might change. I've been in that position numerous times. Where I've had an opportunity to share the gospel. To stand up and say this is what I believe in. Despite what is going to happen. And what your opinion of me might be. I'm willing to take a stand for it. How many of us have been in that position? I'm going to guess probably all of us. That are in this room that uh, claim the name of Christ. That you would say you're a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's you're in a position where your fears are confirmed, the report comes back from the doctor, and your son or your daughter has that learning disability or that mental, uh, physical disability that you were suspicious of. And you're at that place where you need to to make a decision, what am I going to do with this? How do I talk to others about God in this situation? When I talk about this, what do I say? What is my opinion of God in that situation when I'm faced against a fear that uh, is overwhelming? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he makes this statement, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what I think that Jesus is saying here when he's making this statement is he's saying, will you surrender everything to me? Because if you're going to follow me, you need to surrender everything, everything over to me. And that may even include your life. So I want all of it. I want your, your gifts, your abilities, your talents, all of it, even your fears. Are you willing to surrender all of that to me? I think for most of us, we get into this idea that when we follow Jesus, 
that it's going to be an easy life. When we start out following Jesus, we're like, yeah, this is going to be easy. God's going to bless me. God's going to give me everything I ever asked for. God's going to give me all that I wanted. And that's not what Jesus has said to us. Jesus has never promised us an easy life. Actually, if you read through the Gospels, and if you read through Jesus' life himself, his, his life, you will find that it is not an easy life. Not everything will go the way we want it to go. We won't be as comfortable as we think we should be. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, why would I sign up for that? Why would I deny myself everything and take up my cross and follow Jesus? Why would I do that? And maybe you're here this morning and you've been walking with God for some time and you've been in a position where you're like, why did I do this? Why did I sign up for this? I, thankfully, I think there's an answer. I know there's an answer. Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, right? The children of God, we have flesh and blood. He too, God, Jesus, shared in their humanity that so by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Jesus, God, did not stand at a distance and look at us and say, yeah, it's going to be tough to make those decisions. You're going to have to face a lot of fears. You're going to face a lot of heartache. You're going to face a lot of persecution. He didn't stand at a distance and say, yeah, you're going to face that. Uh, That's going to be tough. I hope all goes well. He didn't do that. See, he stepped into the human frame. He took on flesh and blood that he might face the exact same fears, the exact same temptations that we face, and yet overcome them. And that's what it says. He says that he broke the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. If you are a believer in this room, you no longer have to fear death. You don't have to fear rejection because you've been approved, you've been accepted by the only one that really matters, and that's the God that has made you. So I don't need to be afraid if I share the gospel with somebody and they reject me because I've already been accepted by the one that only matters, or the the one whose opinion is the only one that really matters. I've been accepted. I've been approved. I don't need to be afraid. And there comes this great assurance as we walk with God and we have a relationship with Jesus, uh, a great assurance that can overcome our fears. All right, so back to Daniel chapter 3. Jump in. We left off at verse 16. So Daniel and, or I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing at this place where they need to make a decision. Do we stand up for our faith in the God we believe in or do we bow down to the image? It's a real simple, and imagine the temptation here. And this is why I pointed out in the beginning that they were advisors. They were put in positions of authority because if I were a slave and I were beaten daily and I was, I was cast off, I was given one meal, for me to stand up and say, you know what, I'm ready to go anyway. Throw me in the blazing fire because I don't want this life. That would be an easy decision, I think. But if I was in a position of authority, if I was in a position where people were looking to me, and, and if I stand up to the king, maybe God gets me out of the furnace, Maybe God saves me because he has the ability to do that. But what will my life be like afterwards? Will I still have the same status? Will I still have the same authority? Will I still have those, the ability to be in in leadership? And so they're asking that question as they're standing there. They have this, I think, a great temptation before them. But here in verse 16, their faith is, is shown. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you see that? Them just saying that? Oh, King Nebi, we don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, verse 18, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Here's the message that I think I needed to hear this week and I think some of you need to hear this week. The God we serve is able. The God we serve, as it says in verse 16, the God we serve is able. And for some of us, we've been drowning in these fears for so long, drowning in these question marks of where is God? Why isn't he solving this problem? Why isn't this happening? Or is this ever going to happen? Or what if this happens? And you need to hear this. God is able. God is able to bring healing to your physical body. God is able to bring healing to those relationships that are broken. God is able to bring healing to your marriage. God is able. But now, just because I say that, doesn't mean that he will. That's not a promise that he will. It's a recognition that he can. And for many of us, we need to just start there. We need to say, God, you know what? I know in my heart you can. And then look at verse 18 in Daniel chapter 3. Even if. Even if he doesn't. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sit there and they say, God is able to save us and he's going to rescue us. But in case he doesn't, but he's going to, but in case he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not bow down and that our God is an awesome God. And so for us, put that in your context this morning. Is your faith in God greater than those fears that you have? Is your faith in God greater than those what-if questions? And are you able to stare those what-if questions down and say, you know what? It's not what-if, it's even-if. So even if I have to live with this pain for the rest of my life, God is faithful. Even if our marriage does fall apart, God's not done with me. He's faithful. Even if my daughter continues to live a promiscuous lifestyle, God is faithful. Even if the doctor says that it is cancer, God is still able to heal me. And even if he doesn't, he's faithful. There's a reason. The fears that we experience, especially in the areas of loss, are not something that we should run from. We shouldn't run away from them. God has hardwired you and me to experience fear. But what we do with that fear is the critical part. See, because if I handle that fear in a healthy way, it's going to run me straight into the arms of a big loving God because I'm going to say, God, I can't handle this. I'm afraid that this is going to happen. Will you help me? Because I know that you are able. I know that you love me and I know that you can. So please help. That's what happens when we handle our fears healthy in a healthy way. But when we handle our fears poorly and we let them consume us, it drives us a wedge between us and God because we begin to say, well, God, I don't know if you can do that. I'm not sure. I'm afraid. And we start to build fences around ourselves to protect ourselves when actually we should just be running to God and saying, God, will you help? Will you help? See, I can stand up here and I can tell you uh, for myself personally, uh, the fears that I've had to overcome in my life, like the fear of being that little kid standing up there with everybody watching you in the baseball game and that fear of, what if I strike out? 
Or when I was about 10 years old, I had this real fear that I couldn't go to the bathroom in my own, own house when it was dark at night because I was convinced that there was this little demented doll that ran around my house named Chucky. Because I watched a movie on TV that I wasn't supposed to watch. And it planted a fear in my heart. As you get older, the fears get more difficult, as I said earlier. The fear of going to college and starting all over again. Of having to make new friends. Of having to start out and figure things out. Or the fear of switching, a jo- switching jobs. The fear of becoming a pastor Uh, you know, how in the world do I lead these people? That's a real fear. How in the world do I get up and stand in front of people and talk for 40 minutes? That's a real fear. The, the fear, um, the greatest fear for me though, I'll skip through all this. The greatest fear for me is the fear of one day getting that phone call that nobody ever wants to get that, that phone call as a husband and as a a father that I would never want to get that something has happened uh, to my wife or my kids. And maybe some of you can relate to that. I've talked about it before from the stage. Um, but The reality is that we have a great enemy of our soul. And Hebrews chapter 2 talks about it. There's this this guy called the devil. Satan, some people call him. Jesus called him a liar. And one of his followers, Peter, called him a roaring lion that walks around looking for someone to devour. And I don't talk about him much because I don't like to give him a whole lot of credit. But the reality is that the devil and his workers... uh, They play a part in this because I believe that the tune that the devil loves to play in our hearts and in our minds is that what if question. And the one that he has played in in my mind before is, well, what if she's in an accident? Or with my kids, what if they're out playing in the driveway and some white van stops by? I don't know why it's white, but why some, when some white van stops by and abducts them, takes them, someone takes them away, they're kidnapped. What if that happens? Or what if when Isaiah's riding his four-wheeler, he has another accident and this time he doesn't walk away? Those are real fears. And the devil loves to play that card in our mind. And whatever that what if question is for you, I can guarantee he's strumming that tune. That what if God doesn't answer? What if God's not able? What if? And so I have a choice to make with these fears. I have a very real choice to make with these fears. I can allow these fears to consume me. And what will happen if I do that? is I will create limitations. I will create all the boundaries that I can to protect Aaron, my wife, and my kids. And in the process of doing that, I will destroy my relationships with them because I'll smother them. I'll crush them because I'm trying to protect them. Because there are certain limitations that we just... I can't put on them. And and there's appropriate ones and there's other ones that wouldn't be appropriate. And so some of you are sitting here and thinking, well, yeah, Chris, but you can't just be reckless with this. Those of you that are parents, you understand this well. I have a daughter. She's three. Her name's Olivia. I love her to death. She can't swim. She can't swim. She would love to be able to swim, but she can't swim. And so I have this limitation that I put around her. We have a pond on our property and I've said, Olivia, you cannot go down to the pond by yourself. You have to be with somebody that can watch over you, that can protect you, that can swim. 
and not your brothers, because I know they can swim, but they can't swim good enough and they're not paying attention. So they can't be the ones that watch you. It has to be somebody that's going to pay attention and watch you and protect you. And that's a limitation that I put on her. Now, as she gets older, there's going to come an appropriate time when she can swim that I should remove that limitation. She can go to the pond whenever she wants because she's able to swim. Some of you are fathers of teenage girls or have been a father of a teenage girl. She was a teenager at one point. And you set limitations on when she could date and who she could date. And there were appropriate times for that, but there came a time when you had to lift that limitation or there is coming a time in my house. I've already said it. Olivia can date when she's 25. That's the, that's the boundary. When she gets to 25, she's got 22 more years to go. Then she can start dating. But all humor aside, you've set those limitations and those limitations need to be lifted at some time because it's appropriate. And at some time I'm going to have to say, all right, God, I trust you. You love her or you love him more than I do. And your ability to protect them is greater than my ability to protect them. And so I don't have to live in fear every day that I'm going to get that call. I don't have to live in that fear because I know that God is able to protect them far more than I can. And even if something were to happen, even if I were to get that phone call, God will be there in the midst of it. God will give me the grace to walk through it. God gives us grace in the moments when we need it the most, and his grace is sufficient for us. And there will be those times in life, those disappointments that come where you have to look at God and say, God, I need your help. Even if this happens, and now it has happened, my greatest fear has come true, will you walk with me through it? And the promise is there. He will walk with us through it. All right, so I need to close. And if you want to finish the story, uh, see there, I did it again. The biblical, the historical account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'd encourage you to go home and read the rest of Daniel chapter 3 and see what happens there in uh, that account of how they stood up. Because it's amazing as they stood there and they stood and faced their fears they faced that fear of death and they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, We will not bow down to your dumb statue and you can throw us in the blazing furnace if you want to, but our God will save us. And what happens is they, of course, God rescues them. He pulls them out of the furnace and the king is changed. His heart is changed. He acknowledges the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, your God is God because they stood and they faced their fears. As I said earlier, and this is what I'll close with, our fears reveal what we love. And when I have a healthy fear of God, and when I know that I am only made right through my relationship with Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done, it changes me. And I am able to go to God with every single fear, every single failure, and say, God, you are able to overcome this. You are able to overcome this. And so what happens is if I have an addiction to something, I'm able to say, God, I am afraid that this addiction is going to consume me. I'm afraid that it is going to to crush the relationships in my life. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to overcome this. And God, I know that this addiction does not honor you. And so therefore, God, will you help me to overcome this? 
Will you help me to expose this so that I can get help? So that those that you've placed around me can help me. And I don't have to fear what's going to happen. I don't have to fear that they might reject me if I expose it. Because I know that I've been accepted by you. And I know that I've been approved by you. Or you can say, God, I have this great fear that, that our, our marriage isn't going to make it. And we've really been struggling. And I, I'm afraid that he's not going to change or she's not going to change. And I'm afraid that people are going to start to see it. That when we sit in the pews and we don't ever touch each other and we're distant, I'm afraid that people are going to see it. I'm afraid of how people are going to respond. But when we can face our fears and we can recognize Jesus, we can say, God, I need your help with this. This is where I am. This is where you find me. No more masks, no more games. This is my heart. Will you change it? Will you help me to have the boldness to step out and say, God, we need help in this area. And when we do that, when we're willing to do the homework assignment that I gave you, and we're willing to, to dig down and say, what is my greatest fear? And we find it. Our prayer life, I promise you, your prayer life will change. Because it won't, it'll no longer be like, all right, you know, we're sitting down to dinner, we need to pray. Or you're putting the kids to bed at night, let's pray together. It won't be those things that you recite over and over again. And I'm preaching to myself because I'm guilty of this. But it will be a time of fellowship with the Lord where you're pouring out to God and you're saying, God, this is what I'm afraid of. And it will become a genuine conversation with God. And I promise you in those moments, God will respond. Your relationship with God will change when you can honestly look in the mirror, see what your fears are, and stand in front of them and say, God, you can help me with this. So my challenge for us this morning, church, is that we would be willing, be willing to stare those fears down, no matter what they are, and look at them and say, God, you are able to help me in this. You are able to walk with me through this. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace, your mercy in our lives. I thank you that you are able. God, I thank you that you are a great God, a big God, bigger than our mind is even able to comprehend. God, there are so many times where we walk in the dark, where we can't see that even the next step in front of us. And God, those fears of the dark can begin to consume us. Those fears of loss can begin to consume us. God, I pray this morning as a congregation that we would surrender those fears to you. God, that we would turn them over to you. And as your word has told us, as you've told us, as we can cast every anxiety on you because you care for us. Lord, will you help us to do that? Will you help us to face those fears and have courage in the midst of them? In Jesus' name, amen.